If you'd like to be seated now, Wendy's going to come and read for us. A dead girl and a sick woman. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. And Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, driven out, The man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pray for Dan before he preaches. Father, we thank you for Dan. We thank you for the word that you prepared in his heart to share with us today. May we be receptive as we listen. May he be filled with your strength as he delivers it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nita. Sorry, Joe, I'm going to steal you. So today I've entitled the sermon, sermon, Learning to Live 
with hope, learning to live with hope. There are, all, there are times in life when we all need help. The question is, where do you run to when life throws you a curveball? And suddenly you're faced with a problem too great to be able to handle on your own. Where do you turn when you're at the end of your rope, with no resources left to face what is in front of you, when perhaps all of life seems hopeless? Well, we're going to be looking at these two miracle stories in Matthew's Gospel. Just in order to set the context Jesus has finished his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 and 6, in which he's been telling the people of Israel that to enter into the kingdom of heaven, their hearts must be transformed. He's finished the sermon, and the crowds have been gathering around about him. And we read in uh, Matthew 7 that the crowds say, he was teaching them as one having authority not like the scribes. So the people had noticed something significant about the way that Jesus was teaching. He was teaching and preaching with power and authority. And now we have these two miracles in which Jesus very clearly demonstrates his power and authority over all creation. In fact, over life and death itself. This story, or these two stories from Matthew's Gospel, are a healing within a healing story. Uh, And Matthew uses this familiar storytelling technique. He's sandwiching one encounter within the first and second halves of another. And the the purpose is not merely uh, chronological accuracy, telling it as it actually happened in, in real life, But he's also using it to intensify the kind of the the narrative story. And the scenes interpret each other. They invite us to pay attention to the similarities and the differences in these two healing miracles in order that we might understand something new and more about the character and person of God himself. So in this story, a leader, probably of the local synagogue, comes to Jesus for help because he realises he's at the end of his rope. He's powerless to do anything for his daughter who has just died. But he gets an idea in his head, a well-founded idea, that Jesus can raise her from the dead. And so instead of accepting his fate and hers and joining with the other mourners in and around his home, he leaves and goes in search of Jesus. And advocates on behalf of his daughter, the one who is powerless, marginalised by her gender, her age and now her death. The synagogue official comes and bows before Jesus, not only showing him respect for his position, but it's it's virtually an act of worship, an acknowledgement of who it is that stands before him, a recognition of his power and authority, before telling him the terrible thing that has just happened. My daughter has just died, he tells Jesus. 
But notice what he says next in the text. And it's a way of him conveying his hope-filled faith in who Jesus is. Because he says, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. His daughter is dead, but he goes to Jesus because he knows that Jesus has the power over life and death and he can bring her back to life. The synagogue official had no doubt heard or perhaps he'd even witnessed some of Jesus' earlier miracles. Healing a leper, healing the paralytic, casting out fears and demons from fevers and demons from people. Now that his daughter has died, he had nowhere else to turn. Based on what he had seen and heard, he believed that Jesus had the power to bring her back to life. He's at the end of his resources. He's at the end of his rope. He's got nowhere else to turn. So he turns to Jesus and asks him for help. When we don't know where to turn, when we're at the end of our rope, when life seems to be overwhelming us, turn to Jesus. Don't let anything get in the way of running to Jesus. Bring him your burden, seek his help and the hope that he can bring. And so Jesus responds to his cry for mercy. He gets up and goes with him. And we're told in the text that his disciples did the same. But it's at this point that the story is interrupted by the next healing story. It says in the text, then suddenly a woman. But it doesn't tell us much more about her only that she had been suffering for 12 years from some kind of hemorrhaging. She comes up behind Jesus to touch the fringe of his clothing because she too is at the end of her rope. She's got nowhere else to turn, no hope. And somehow she's gotten this idea in her head that if she simply just touches Jesus' clothes, she'll be healed. And we saw in the text that her touch gets Jesus' attention. He turns and he sees her and he publicly blesses her. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And she was healed. Jesus is again responsive to the desperate cries of those who are suffering. God's power is released to bring healing to the woman, a token, a foretaste of the wholeness that will mark the abundance of God's kingdom rule and reign when it comes in all its fullness. At once, the burden was lifted and the words of Jesus brought healing to her soul. She was an outcast no more. She's family. She's a daughter of God.
like this woman, there are times when we need Jesus to lift a burden from off us and heal our hearts, our minds, our bodies. We too need to be reminded of who we are. Daughters and sons of the King. Children of God. And know that those who hope in Him need not despair. In Psalm 43 verse 5 it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Then the other story picks back up again. Jesus gets to the synagogue leader's house only to find the friends and the family are already mourning her death with music and laments and cries of pain and anguish. Death's finality is being observed. But the girl's father had come to ask Jesus to do something. And we see in the text that clearly Jesus intends to respond to his request. And so he tells the mourners, you can all leave now, because this precious girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. Of course, they laugh at him. They know the finality of death and what that means. But Jesus is undeterred by death. He exercises his authority to do what he's been asked to do. So he makes all the people leave. And then he takes the girl's hand and the precious daughter arose from the grave, raised from death to life by the power of God. It's a glimpse of the kingdom of God which is coming now and is to come completely at some point in the future. A sovereignty that sets us free from the dominion of death and brings life to the whole world. What I want you to notice is how utterly beautiful Jesus is. To those who ask him for help, Jesus responds with simple service. Please come and raise my daughter. Okay. If only I can touch his clothing, I'll be healed. Your faith has made you well. Very often in the Gospels, Jesus does stuff because someone has asked him to. What an amazing picture of what our God is like. But notice also the humility of Jesus. He downplays his own role and power in these stories and instead affirms the faith of those who ask for help. It was not a case of, my power has healed you, but rather, your faith has healed you. 
It wasn't a question of, watch everybody while I raise this girl from the dead. But rather, leave everyone. She's just sleeping. I'll wake her up. Such glorious humility. Always seeking to see, to heal, to bless, to bring life. Now this good news might well be hard to hear because most of us have cried out to God in time of need and not received what we'd hoped for. The child with leukaemia has a setback. The long-standing health condition just seems to keep getting worse. The loneliness becomes debilitating. Yet another potential employer says no. The house you'd hoped would be your next home goes to someone else. Perhaps it's tempting to believe we're, t- we're foolish to pray for healing, for, prote- for, for provision, for protection, for help in our suffering. If prayer doesn't work, then why bother? But brothers and sisters, prayer is not magic to be mastered or technology to be learned. It's not something that works or doesn't work. It's not something we can figure out or master or control. It's not a technique we can use to obtain our desired, desired results. Prayer is a mystery that we enter into. It's a communion that we participate in. It's an encounter we surrender to. It's an act of obedience for us as God's children to pray, your kingdom come in all its fullness on earth now as it is in heaven. So I'm sure the question that you're all thinking is, so why are sometimes people healed and sometimes they're not? Well, the simple answer is, I don't know. And I'm not God. I've got stuff that I've been praying for for years that I'm still confused about. I've been praying some prayers day after day, and in some cases for years, seemingly not getting what I'm asking for, seemingly not seeing any movement or change at all. At times, I'm tempted to believe, have I been foolish to trust Jesus? Was I stupid to give my life to him just over 32 years ago? There are times when I get weary, showing up day after day, praying again for daily bread, for creativity, for vision, for endurance, for wisdom, to see healing and justice in our world. 
I don't know about you, but in the course of the last six months, you could even say two or three years, I've been looking at what's going on in our world and I'm praying for God to come in his power to bring about his justice, to move in mercy to what's happening. And I'm wondering, when are you going to act, God? How long must the war in Ukraine carry on? How many more people must die? What about COVID and the number of people that died there? What about the, the way that the, the, the war in Ukraine is affecting the whole world and the price of fuel and the price of food going up? People struggling. We're seeing people striking because they're not getting paid enough in order to be able to live. To live. People in, our, in the nursing profession living off food banks. Is that right? Well, of course, the answer must be no. And I'm praying that God would move and change and do something. And yet it feels like, is there a glimmer of hope? Is anything happening? And yet when I see this miracle story about the synagogue leader and the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, it was like they were at the end of their rope. They had no answer. They didn't know where else to turn. But they had a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of faith that Jesus was the one that could change it. He was the only one that could answer their problems. And so, brothers and sisters, I say to you today, if you're in that place where you've been praying a prayer for years and you don't appear to have been seeing anything, if you're frustrated by what you see happening in our world and wondering when God's going to move, I invite you again today with the smallest amount of faith that you might have, like the synagogue leader, like the woman that was bleeding, to cry out to Jesus for help. Because it's when we're at the end of our rope and we've got nowhere else to turn that the only person that can bring us hope is Jesus. And so today when I finish talking, we're going to respond as the family, church family here at Christchurch in Down End, and we're going to pray for God to move. We're going to intercede. We're going to beseech our Father in heaven and say, come, we need your help. Move in power. Do what only you can do, because there is no hope without you. We're going to intercede before God for ourselves, for each other, for the poor, the marginalised, the hurting, those who have no voice. And we stand in solidarity with each other, praying for one another's needs as if they were our own. Because it's part of how we participate in God's kingly rule and reign now. It's how we participate in seeking to bring about God's kingly rule on earth as it is in heaven. So as I finish, let me ask you a couple of questions. What suffering are you most in touch with today? Where have you reached the end of your rope? Where do you need to see, where where do you see the need for freedom and life? Perhaps it's for yourself, like the woman with the issue of blood. Perhaps 
it's for someone else, like the synagogue leader. Jesus Christ is risen and present with us now and is responsive to our cries for mercy in the midst of suffering. When we find ourselves at the end of our rope, there we'll find that Jesus is full of compassion and eager to set us free from the bondage that binds us, our friends, our neighbours, those that we don't know in other parts of the world. To bring liberty and the abundance of the life that he promised in all its fullness to those that would follow him. So let's simply ask for Jesus' help and trust God's power to bring new life. Let's just be still for a moment or two. I give you space to respond to what you've heard, to what God might be prompting in your heart now as you speak with him. Maybe some of you are angry or frustrated with a prayer that you've been praying for a long time and seemingly seen no response. I encourage you this morning to pray that again with the smallest amount of faith that you can muster, knowing that Jesus is the one that will act. He is our only hope. Bring your prayers and your petitions before him this morning and cry out for him to move in power. Maybe it's a family member who you've been praying that will come to know and experience the reality of Jesus in their life. Name it again today. With that small grain of faith that you can muster. we stand together and respond in worship as we sing but bring those prayers that are on your heart this morning and bring them before our risen saviour pray that he will move in power that he will bring life
Amen.